This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Pat Flanders, the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency, and Tom Hines, the Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation, also at the Defense Health Agency. Pat, Tom, welcome to the program. Thank you for having us. I'm looking forward to this conversation because the health care area, the health IT area is just so much is going on there. There's so much to talk about. So, Pat, I'm going to start at the very top. Whenever I talk to CIOs on this show, it's always about IT modernization priorities. So let's just start there. Give us an update. How's it going? What progress are you making or have made? First, to just kind of level set, let me tell you a little bit about IT at the, at the Defense Health Agency. So we run a, a network dedicated to supporting the military health system. That network is called the Medical Community of Interest, or MedCoy, and it is not part of the Nippernet. It's separate, and I kind of describe it as being between unclassified and classified, right? And so it's it's designed to to safeguard protected health information. So we have about 240,000 Windows endpoints and probably double that number of medical devices. So to put that in context, you know, the United States Marine Corps has about 182,000 active duty service members. So we're significantly larger than that. And that's just on the people side. So uh, pretty big. And if you've heard me talk anytime in the last four years, it's been mostly about combining the legacy Army, Navy, and National Capital Region networks into this new MedCoin network. And so uh, I'm happy to report that going forward, you probably won't hear me talk about that anymore because it's essentially complete. We're finishing up the last sites, uh, and then there'll be a, probably a year and a half or so of, of cleanup operations for things that we purposely didn't bring over to the new network because they either weren't ready or there was a cyber issue. We didn't want that on the network until it was hardened, that kind of thing. Additionally, uh, we procure and maintain the medical software for the military health system in conjunction with our partners from uh, OSD um, Acquisition and Sustainment at the Program Executive Office for Defense Healthcare Management Systems. Uh, that's Ms. Holly Jors, so we kind of share that responsibility. And one of the things we're doing um, now that Genesis is really close to being, very soon it'll be 50% fielded, is for the systems that in my portfolio that are enduring and natural extensions of you know, the electronic record I'm transferring them over to her. Um, and so that's working really well. Uh, and then finally, um, Tom and I uh, provide for all of the sustainment of the network and everything on it with respect to cyber defense and accreditation. With that background, our modernization priorities for the upcoming year are number one, any and all support of MHS Genesis and their continued rollout. Uh, Number two, a continued execution of our multi-system integration contract. It's a portfolio of between six and 10 contracts that we'll let, we haven't decided exactly yet, uh, over the next probably three to four years, that's going to replace about 200 uh, separate contracts. Completion of the rollout of the DISA Office 365 implementation. Um, So we've done phase one, phase two sometime in the next six months. Continued migration of many of our systems to cloud environments. 
And then uh, we have our defense medical logistics system, which runs uh, all of the logistics for the, for the treatment facilities. And that's transitioning to a new um, architecture called logical. And so that, those are the big things. I don't know, uh, Tom Hines, do you have anything to add? Uh, I'd just like to, I guess, highlight the uh, cleanup effort you mentioned uh, uh, post-migration of the facilities to, uh, to the MedCoy. Uh, that's an interesting process that I think uh, people can learn a lot from. When you think about something as massive as a global network and the movement of all these pieces of that network from what was seven legacy networks, not only do you have things that are left behind, but you basically have the hooks into all those things remaining on your switches and your routers and your firewalls and all your security architecture. Human nature is such that when you're actually doing a new deployment, you tend to add things, you never take things away. So that's that cleanup activity. And so we've got a whole team of people. Uh, we have what we call, we call it euphemistically the left behind effort, but it's not really the left behind effort. It's really going back and cleaning up all the legacy enterprise services and the rules and the rule sets and the, the network pointers and those sort of things. So what we really have is a clean thing we can sustain going forward. And it's, it's a massive effort. I have a series of subject matter experts who are right now inquiring on the network, determining exactly what the targets are, what things have to be done. And we're looking at automating much of that progress going forward. We got three pilots starting fairly soon, but I think it's a piece of the process that a lot of people don't forget when they go through massive consolidation activities. So I know myself, I'm very excited about getting started with that and seeing that through because that's really where we're going to gain the ultimate efficiencies in operations. Good summation. It gives me a good sense of where we're going. Let me start with one thing that I think is very important of, of all this. And, and Pat, maybe you could lead us off on this. The role that DHA has with MS Genesis, specifically your office, is support. I want to be clear on that because I think people are going to hear the EHR system and get excited about it, but you're providing that underlying network, that support for it. Give us that that broad view so people understand what, what your role is. That's right. And to make it really confusing, people that have known me for about five years know that I actually used to work in the PEO for DHMS. And so I, I've changed jobs. Uh, I'm no longer doing that. I'm the supporting role which provides the network and the cyber of the, the enclave where we, we host that. And so it's all about the network. Uh, and I'm happy to report that it's going really well. As far as successes, I mean, we're coming up here on the field of the Brook Army Medical Center. And after that, they will be 50% complete. And then for what's left over, um, heck, two locations make up another 30%. That's just Portsmouth and Walter Reed. Because they're so big, so it, it's it's really it's it's really a good story. The training's better now, you know. Fielding a, a large system like that, I, I fielded two huge ERP systems to the Army uh, back in the day. And when you field those big systems, you know it's kind of like a bouncing ball. You know, the first site you go to, you drop the ball, it bounces really high, right? And if you're doing what you're supposed to, working with your functionals improving your training, doing bug fixes, you know, doing proper stratification of the critical items and the things that help people. That ball, every time you go to a, a different site, that, that ball bounces less high. And we're, we're in a really good place. I can tell you the very first site we did way back in 2017, those were our guinea pigs. And uh, 
that, that we pr probably learned the biggest lesson at that site at Madigan. And it was because we fielded them the new MedCoin network and Genesis on the same day. That was really bad <laughs> because number one, you really need after you field the new network, you need about six months to find all the little problems because it takes time to find them. And then time for the, the IT staff to learn, right? Their, their, their poor heads were spinning off with here's a brand new system. So all the clinicians are having problems and then you've got the, the IT folks with their new network having problems. And so now we make sure we're done with fielding that shiny new network at least six months before Genesis comes. From a network perspective, was there a lot that you had to do to get the network ready to field these new capabilities or had you been working over the last, you know, three, five, seven years on the network to get it into shape and, and really you're just, for lack of a better word, smoothing out the rough edges? Oh, no, no, no. This is a, this is a deliberate design, a deliberate effort. And after, and so here's why. Those legacy networks were designed and optimized for servers in the basement. So they were optimized for local area networks not wide area networks, right? So the legacy systems are distributed. So you've seen one, you've seen one instance at one hospital, you've seen one instance at one hospital. So we knew that in order to enable a centralized uh, web-based system, that was gonna take a deliberate network modernization. And like I say, uh, that plan is aligned with the Genesis rollout. And after that first go live, we had to rebaseline the whole thing to add time so that we had that six month break and we got it done and it worked. And, and Tom, is there, from an engineering perspective, was there anything for, that you want to add to this when it comes to, you know, kind of rebaselining and, and re-looking at the network? There's two layers to that, right? So there's the, there's the physical network. And as, as Pat just indicated, you know, that, that shift from sort of a land centric focus to a wider network centric focus, but then Perhaps just as importantly, by standardizing the delivery of network services over that standardized infrastructure, we then knew what to expect. And so the new system and all the components of that system are obviously related on network services, such as PKI services, DNS, you know, other basic network services that a lot of people don't even think about that they always work. Well, those were not standardized either. So all of those had to work in conjunction and they would then, and we shifted from again, local management of those servers to centralize global management of those services so that they were the same, same everywhere you went. And taking that one step further, we mentioned medical devices before. So unlike the old system where there were very few interfaces, direct interfaces to medical devices, that's going up by a factor of approximately three with the new system. Each of those had to be figured out how they communicate, how they message. And, and we even established standard uh, locations on the network, on the local area networks, for those interfaces to communicate with the centralized system uh, in Kansas City. And so as you go from site to site, what you will find is, I can tell you exactly what VLAN, the radiology system is, and it is the same everywhere you go, right? And that's what makes the performance of the system predictable, because we know where the devices are, how they communicate, and those rules are also standardized across the enterprise. Critically important. Just a, one thing to add, Mr. Hines is the architect of all of that. He personally developed that. So, 
Uh, gentlemen, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation and jump into so many other priorities that, uh, Pat, you outlined. But first, we'll take a quick break. My guests today, Pat Flanders, the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency, and Tom Hines, the Director of Engineering and Technical Transformation, also at the Defense Health Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Pat Flanders, the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency, and Tom Hines, the Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation, also at the Defense Health Agency. Before break, we were talking a lot about the priorities, and, and Pat, you laid out everything you guys are working on, and then probably there's probably a lot more. Uh, I want to go back to something, though, that Tom said around this medical community of interest and, and the modernization and consolidation and turning off, which is really huge, the old system. Tom, you said that one of the things that you all are doing, which is really important, is this idea of the cleanup. And you uh, you have a dedicated team of people. Uh, I love the, the title of the left behind effort. Many times when I hear CIOs talk about turning things off, that's the hardest thing. You think getting the new systems up and running is difficult, but turning it off also can be very difficult because of that spider web effect. Well, this is connected to that, which is connected to something else, which is connected to even something else. Help me understand how are you going about this? Have you done this before? Help me understand a little bit more about how this total left behind effort's working. Truth of the matter is no, we've never done this before, right? We are finding, uh, and we, we've seen evidence of this now that we can, we're finding rules on our router switches and firewalls, which date back to infrastructure, which has now been actually physically gone for six years, six or eight years. And so uh, finding evidence of that obviously was an eye opener. We had not expected to see that uh, still laying out, but it's, it's, it's a, I think I mentioned before, it's, it's, a, it's, it's part of human nature that when you're implementing something new or you're changing something, you don't remove the old because you're too afraid to break something while you do it. And so you add new and you never go back and say, well, okay, what was there that didn't work before or what's now missing? And so we need to go back and delete that because you're afraid of, well, again, breaking something that's actually operating at that moment in time. And at that point, that, that new system or that new thing is operational. So the approach is really twofold. One, we're taking a, a front-end approach that says, what does right look like, right? So, so again, that goes back to deliberate engineering and it asks the question, knowing what we know about what's supposed to be on the network and how it's supposed to work, what precisely does that look like? And we model that and we build that in a database. We then take agents, network tools that are intended to inquire how the network is actually operating. So what ports and protocols are being used, what devices are communicating, what enterprise services are those communicating with. And then we do a big net net against what theoretically should be and what actually is operating. Because we have our networks to this day, part of the MedCoy is actually adding instrumentation. So we have agents on devices, we have agents on switches, we obviously have our firewalls or routers, all of it is centrally monitored and managed. So we're, we're now for the first time capable of taking that what should be and what actually is operational in the field, comparing the two, netting the two out and understanding what the difference is and also what anomalous activity is occurring that we would never expect, okay? Then again, that dedicated team of engineers you mentioned before, along with operations people, functional people, people at the facility have to look at that and say, you know, what should be there and what shouldn't be there. And then what you're really doing is you're changing the what should be to match the net net of what is correct 
as is and eliminating everything else. And with that goes everything you find that you may not have even known was there as a result of that analysis. And we're gonna do that site by site by site by site. That's that effort. Fascinating effort. One thing about it that comes to mind is the, the time. And as you fix something in site one and then go to site two, does site one then become old, right? It's, it's the whole idea of legacy systems, right? A legacy system is anything that yesterday was new and tomorrow it's old. I, I know I'm, I'm simplifying it a little bit, but how are you kind of trying to ensure that by the time right. you get through all so, the sites, you're not so that again. same that same front end process I talked about is where how we manage change. So then, as new things come in at that point, we're netting against a clean baseline. So we fix a site, we now have a clean baseline, we know it's clean. A new change comes in, a new requirement comes in. We then add that change. But what's interesting about that new process and those tools we're using. None of that is done by humans. I mean, humans provide the input, but all everything else is scripted in terms of the changes that are made to the network itself. And if it doesn't work, we know right away we can make the appropriate adjustments, but then you have to go back to the source material to make that adjustment to exercise the script to then fix the problem in the field. So you don't get the drift. You've got to manage the drift. That's the key, right? Right now, I would say we're mostly drift. We're trying to get down to where that's a very small percentage of the overall configuration variance in the field. Is this because the new network and, and the, the the one that you're that you're implementing and have, have consolidated to is software defined, and, and that allows you to use not, those not, scripts? Not software defined per se, but I would more so characterize it as brutally standardized, right? Uh, not so much software defined. We do have some elements of software-defined networking going on the wide area network, and that has to do with how our security architecture works. But that's way too that's that's a eight-hour discussion just about how that functions. So. We will not torment our audience with an eight-hour discussion on, on the security architecture. The other piece of this is you mentioned three pilots that are starting for automation. Can you just give us a high-level view of what those would entail? It's the use of those tools that we've developed. By the way, all these tools are based on open-source products and people that we've trained specifically in this area to develop these capabilities using, again, on many of those agents that were deployed as part of the MedCoy architecture in the first place. So basically, you have to look at the MedCoy architecture, not only as the underlying transport and security architecture, but really as a broad-based sensor grid for both network performance, network monitoring, and uh, obviously security monitoring as well. So you can use that in many, many interesting ways if you have the right tools. Pat, jump in here for enjoying the discussion on this MedCoy network. From your perspective as CIO, why is it why was it important to consolidate, and what benefits do you expect to, you know in the short term and long term? Imagine you owned one of every possible IT thing you could buy. Now imagine trying to accredit it all with hundreds of contracting officers in all the different services with different chains of command that don't work for you, right? And just what that's like on four different networks. It just, it was unmanageable, right? And so just number one, it was unmanageable. Number two, there's no way it could support a modern EHR like Genesis, right? So those are, and then the security aspect of it, um, so not only now have we necked down to a much smaller number of tools, and that will continue. On the business side of it, 
um, we got a really good handle on the spend, right? On who is spending what, where. And I've got a team of folks that analyze that and are looking for opportunities for consolidation. We've done a bunch, we've got a bunch more planned. Um, there's gonna be some organizational changes here at the, the headquarters um, where I'm probably going to get a new mission to standardize radiology devices. Um, and so that's gonna be a really big one. This whole, this, the, the network, how we do the financials, how we do the, the, the security, it's all linked. And it's, I, I believe that we've come just as, in, in four years, we've come a long way and each year it gets better and better and better. And uh, back to uh, shutting down systems, so, I mean, what Tom talked about was largely network focused, right? In terms of the software side of it, yeah, we've shut down systems. We've shut down several. Now, CHCS and Alta and the legacy HRs are really big, and there are lots of spider webs. Um, <laughs> it's a multi-layer cake, right? And so clinics, you know, you'll have, uh, and because it's a distributed system, you'll have one MTF that is a, a parent for a child that's nowhere near them. Um, it, it, yeah, there's a lot to it. And so uh, that's a, that's a priority. I imagine the answer is yes. So I'll say software or application rationalization is a big piece of this. Is it happening in parallel with the network kind of consolidation and standardization? Well, the network consolidation kind of happens, happens ahead of it. So Genesis at a full once Genesis is fully fielded, we will we will recoup about two hundred and forty seven million dollars a year by shutting off the legacy system. By the way, by the way, that savings is already booked <laughs> and spent. I'm sure. Um, yes. The other piece of this MedCoin network, if you will, is uh, another one of the modernization priorities that Pat mentioned, which is the continued migration of systems to the cloud. I imagine the, the MedCoin network is considered either a, a DHA cloud or some sort of DOD cloud. How does that fit into the broader cloud migration strategy? So this is Tom, I'll, I'll go ahead and take that. I think what you said is, is correct. We look at MedCoin as being an ecosystem that includes obviously a compute component, a hosting component. We have regional data centers as part of the MedCoin. There's some 16, actually 18 currently worldwide. Uh, that provide a lot of the standard enterprise services, as well as uh, storage and commute capacity, not only to support facilities, but a lot of that, um, those enterprise capabilities I spoke to before relative to basic networking and even delivering standard desktops, because we have virtual desktops like, like many organizations do, and uh, other associated applications would go with that. In addition to that, MedCoy has its own a cloud access point. So DOD has a cloud access point. The Air Force has a cloud access point. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with those. So we, so the MedCoy has its own cloud access point, again, separate from that, which is run by any of the military departments or by DISA, which generally does it for those who don't have their own. We provide our own security for that, and it has a unique architecture. Now that architecture, uh, specifically the network and security architecture, is really logically just an extension on the on of of the on-premise coy that supports the MTF. So if you're off, you're a facility using an enterprise service that happens to be hosted in the cloud, it fundamentally doesn't look any different than an enterprise service that's really next door in your computer room. That's the way we intentionally design it to be that transparent. 
Now, although the way in which you secure that environment and you handle your networking component looks very different in a cloud environment like AWS, Azure, or Oracle, all of which we're in right now, if you really look at the devices and how they're configured and how they're managed, it's really all the same. In fact, all the tooling, the agent software, the network monitoring and monitoring agents that go along with those hosts, they're really all the same that we have on the COI. So a firewall tech, tech that works typically supporting a uh, military treatment facility for a local application can just as very well be supporting an application supporting that same facility that happens to be in the cloud. And I'm not sure that that technician necessarily even knows the difference. And we intentionally did that to make it flexible to uh, move applications at scale from on-premise environments uh, into the cloud with very little additional effort. Really what you seem to be describing is that hybrid environment that so many agencies I think are living in, the ability to, to say, okay, we're gonna keep this application on-premise, but we may need right. to put some services in the cloud. Oh, but now we gotta bring the data back to simplify life. That seems to be a common refrain ac across the CIO community, across agencies is that that's the future. Was there any thought to put the entire MedCoy in the cloud or is that just was not necessarily an option? Not an option because, but again, fundamentally the MedCoy is a, the underlying foundation is a physical network. That's a global network. Something Pat didn't mention when he was mentioning statistics in terms of number of users, numbers of devices, the actual number of physical facilities that are part of the military health system is nearly 1300 facilities globally. Right, so all of those have to be interconnected. So at the end of the day, you have to have physical wires and circuits and connections to each of those facilities. The difference, and then you asked before about MedCoy and would we get into more of the architecture, but the difference here and it's fundamental is back to that whole thing about being networked and land centric. We used to think of the world as being a military treatment facility and its clinics, very much like you see in the commercial sector. It's a network, right? It's, it's a network of clinics, but that tends to be very regional. Uh, what the military health system has become is really a global system of, of health, along with ancillary support services. So all of those relationships between facilities, what they do, what they support, and where their users are, and how they interoperate with one another, has all now become logical. It is no longer physical, right? There's almost nothing physical about it anymore. And um, I will tell you, that's a whole different challenge, which we could have a whole nother meeting about to talk about what it means to do that. All right. Well, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. My guests today are Pat Flanders, the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency, and Tom Hines, the Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation at the Defense Health Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Pat Flanders, the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency, and Tom Hines, the Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation, also at the Defense Health Agency. Before break, we were talking a lot about your priorities and, and the goals you have specifically around the network. Pat, I want to shift to a, a, a couple of contracts that are, I think are getting a lot of attention. You mentioned was one of your big priorities, the multi-systems integration contract. We also know that DHA made a, an award recently under their Enterprise IT as a Service contract. Give us quick updates on both of those efforts. With the birth of the of the agency and the transfer of hundreds of treatment facilities and clinics around the world came their hundreds of IT tech services contracts. And, you know, these contracts are not incentivized to support our enterprise strategies. And they've been let by a myriad of contracting agencies from across the DOD, 
all with different chains of command. And, you know, just maintaining them is very costly and expensive and individual MTFs have to do recompetes and it's hard for them. So the plan is to replace all of those in this multi-system integrator model. And so that's the way that works uh, is we're going to let somewhere between six and 10 contracts, we think right now. The first of those is the one that was recently awarded. And that is the Enterprise Information Technology Services Integrator contract. So the awardee of that contract actually is kind of like a a PM support contractor. They work on the government side of the fence, helping us manage the follow-on contracts, which are for geographic service providers. So you can think all of the IT services touch labor support in every MTF and clinic in a chunk of the United States. We'll say the East Coast, something like that. So these are going to be big vehicles. And then um, for areas where we require uh, large expertise in a domain, say something like Active Directory, we'll have capability service provider contracts. Now they'll, they'll be smaller, but the intent here is to get nice long, like 10-year contracts um, and have them all align under the the ITSE contract with the government. And that ITSE contract also runs our global service center, 450 or so person uh, global 24 by 7 help desk as a feedback mechanism. So you've got the feedback of the help desk into that, that ITSE contract and then them helping us literally come up with the requirements and phase in the other contracts. If you want to see an an example of where this is being used elsewhere in government, the state of Virginia CIO uses this model. Um, And I believe Texas also. Um, So uh, pretty excited about that. Again, it's going to take many years. First contract awarded. We have an industry day. uh, um, By the time this airs, it will already been done. (laughs) But uh, for the first geographic service provider contract. And um, if you if you followed the original ITSE contract, we're gonna do the same kind of thing, the same kind of industry day, industry feedback, draft RFP, taking our time, trying to do this right. And so a bit, bit, big muscle movements for the DHA there. And just to be clear, you said the ITSE contract in case if people are like, what the hell is the ITSE contract? It's, it's, you're talking about the enterprise IT as a service or is there something else? The portfolio of all the contracts in the multi-system integrator model is called EITS. It's the Enterprise Integration Technology Services Overarching Contracts. The first one where that first contract award that we just made, that's a special one because, and, and that is called the ITSI, the Enterprise Information Technology Services Integrator Contract. So it's like the overarching integrator of the other contracts, but there's no contractual relationship between that company and the other companies. The government owns that. So the government holds all the contracts and the the ITSI overarching integrator helps us with the management of the other contracts. I hope that makes sense. It does. And I just want to, sometimes we all get lost in the uh, acronym. So I want to make sure folks aren't confused in any way. I appreciate that. Uh, and then the other contract, did you just make an award as well? Is, is that the contract that you just made the award for? Or is there another one that Enterprise IT has a service contract too? Help, help me clarify that. 
So, so the, I think we're talking about the same thing. Okay. So the, the recent award is for that integration contract, the EITSI. That's the only one that's been awarded of this portfolio of contracts. Next, the, the next one will be the first geographical service provider contract. And timeline, just roughly sometime in 2022, you, you imagine? Of course, it's, it's, there's a lot of hoops to jump through between now yes. and then. Yes, 2022. Is, is, you know, by, by the summer is when we'd like to get it awarded, and that's where we've, uh, we've aligned our funding and everything to work for that. Okay, good to know. I want to jump over to uh, another big priority that you mentioned, which is obviously around cybersecurity. I know doing some research, DHA is one of the agencies that are applying or implementing a comply to connect approach. Very similar, I think, something the Marine Corps has started with. So, uh, Tom, jump in and talk a little bit about what comply to connect means and, and how will it work or how is it working? Comply to connect was originally something that came out in the National Defense Authorization Act that everyone in the Department of Defense has to do. Uh, at a very fundamental level, Comply to Connect is simply the implementation of 802.1x, which is really intelligent networking. It says, what is a device? Uh, do you have rights to connect to the network? And if so, then I let you on. Enabled through the use of tools and agents to also let you know something about the security posture of an individual device before you make that decision to allow it to the network. And that's Comply to Connect. At the end of the day, what you really hope for is to fully automate the onboarding of devices onto the network, not only not only on a daily basis. So you ask the question, uh, have, do you have the latest patch? Do I know who you are? Uh, are you safe enough to put on the network and then put it on the network? But also if I add new devices to the network, let's say a standard medical device, a patient monitor device, let's say have you, that's been accredited and approved for use somewhere else in the network. And now I wanna introduce that to another facility. You would like the network to be smart enough to understand you're the same patient monitor I have elsewhere on the MedCoy, Right, And so I know not only what you are, I know what the parameters are associated with the device, and I have the automation capability to say, I've recognized you, I know you're good and you're safe, and now I put you on the network at precisely the place you should go, and I apply the appropriate policies from a security perspective for your communication with other devices on that same subcomponent of the network, as well as at the enterprise level. And that's the solution that we have uh, engineered and developed. It's uh, very, very complicated uh, in our particular case. Uh, it involves uh, technologies we have, like our Palo Alto firewalls, which are really uh, at the edge and at the core of, of both our hosting environments and our military treatment facilities. Technology from Cisco called Cisco ICE is really the traffic cop of supporting that 802.1x functionality, along with a, a piece of free software that comes with Cisco ICE called PXGrid which operates as a messaging bus uh, with other security devices and appliances uh, that, you, that, again, that are mostly things we already have. So it's a message bus that uh, other devices subscribe to for communicating with uh, other devices and then executing commands based upon logic you program into that Comply to Connect solution. And then finally, a very interesting technology called Armis. We're one of the early adopters of this, which is an IoT security appliance that has two pieces, one a collector, which constantly listens on the network to understand what those things are. And again, the good, a good example is a patient monitor. I keep going back to those sort of things because they do not have conventional operating systems. You can't put a intelligent agent on a patient monitoring device. So you have to be able to inquire and understand how that device is specifically behaving 
its characteristics, both in how it connects to the network and how it communicates with other devices to define what it is and is it operating within normal parameters. And associated with that is a cloud-based architecture that takes all that metadata from your network, compares it against baseline parameters. It has uh, machine learning capabilities to get smarter and smarter, and then it changes that data with PX grid to then make decisions about what gets on your network and then what doesn't. And this again uh, interfaces with all of our existing capabilities, such as our patching servers, our scanning devices, another product called Tanium that has agents on the vast majority of our systems with operating systems. We have 99% coverage of that that allows us to inquire across the network and understand how everything is, is uh, operating and whether it's uh, within normal parameters and meets the configuration guidance we've established for each of those uh, endpoints. So uh, again, very complex solution, uh, but at the end of the day, it all comes down to automating uh, the application of policy and, this, and understanding at all points in time, the security of all the devices on your network uh, have that complete level of visibility to support for, in our case, global continuous monitoring. At the end of the day, that's that should be everybody's objective and it's certainly what we're working towards. Uh, gentlemen, let's take a quick break. We can come back. We can continue our conversation and jump into so many other parties that, uh, Pat, you outlined. But first, we'll take a quick break. My guest today, Pat Flanders, the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency, and Tom Hines, the Director of Engineering and Technical Transformation, also at the Defense Health Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Pat Flanders, the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency, and Tom Hines, the Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation, also at the Defense Health Agency. So two, two things come to mind as you went through this. Uh, first, obviously, the Armis piece is really interesting because I think the IoT concerns of sensors and as, as more agencies are using more technology, the, the connected devices, how do you make sure that they should be on the network. Are they the are they safe? Are they secure and the and the like? And you mentioned they, you can't really put intelligent devices, an intelligent agent on those devices many times because they're on a different operating system. What right. happens if I'm a doctor at a at a medical facility and I and I and I want to use this patient monitoring and it won't let me on the network? When does the human get involved in that challenge? Because if it won't let me connect, I need some sort of hey Tom, help me out here. I have to admit that we have not figured that piece out yet, right? So one of the scary parts of this automating all your network connectivity is if you're trying to make a decision on should it come on or should it come off or should it even more. So this is the more important part. You didn't ask this, but this is the more important part. I now have a patient monitor and now Armis tells me it's a microwave because of the way it's behaving. That's obviously aberrant behavior. And it would be a it would be flagged in our in our in our SM as a ten right you you would normally want to block that on the network, but it's plugged into a patient and now what do you do? And so those are some of the hard decisions that we haven't come to yet. We're anticipating that's exactly the logic we have to try to figure out how to put into the system of how to grade things and then what level of human interaction is required so we don't do you know, make something bad actually worse, at least from a patient care perspective. So that that was, that was uh, yes, that's going to be the really hard part, the tuning of the solutions. It, it absolutely does work. I mean, um, you know, we found cell phones, people connecting, you know, via wires. We found all kinds of stuff, um, and we find it quick. <laughs> so it sounds to me like Comply to Connect is either in early phases or pilot phases, or you're just still in development mode. Where are you with the program? 
So the part that's 8021X, the basic functionality, the Cisco ICE integration, the integration with the Palo Alto firewalls, Armist sensors, and that cloud infrastructure, that's all in place. What we're doing right now is, so a lot of people don't understand how hard it is to do C2C, but our, although we have something called the MedCoy, the actual switches, right? So the switched infrastructure, the LAN infrastructure in each of the facilities, we have three or four different vendors out there in the field. And then because our life cycle on those switches and that LAN infrastructure is four years, we have variations in each of those four manufacturers. And then I didn't even talk about the wireless networks, right? So that we have the wireless networks too. And we have two, two different manufacturers involved there. Also at least two or three generations old. And everything I just mentioned has to be tuned to work with all those variations in that local area network. And so for the last year, that's what we've been doing. And along with that, by the way, automating all the standard configuration of that switched infrastructure, regardless of manufacture, so it can interoperate with all the technologies I just mentioned. So that's where we are. Uh, it's a nine phase program. And we have three facilities now at phase eight. So that's where we are right now. And then once we get uh, all of those baselined through phase eight, we intend to push out to the rest of the enterprise. Phase nine, by the way, is that complex, uh, that very complex thing you asked about uh, just before, like what happens when, as you said, a patient monitor now says, I'm a freezer or a microwave, and now what do I do about it? That's phase nine. A lot more to talk around that, but uh, uh, I'm going to... Jump back over to Pat for a second. Pat, we're just about out of time, and, and I can't let you go without the, the big question that I think may be on at least my mind, if not everyone else's mind, that we didn't bring up during our conversation, which is the fourth estate consolidation and, and DHS and DHA's role or part of that effort. Just give me a quick update of, of what's happening around the fourth estate consolidation and, and how is that affecting DHA? Yeah, it's good. I mean, uh, we're last. I think we're last because we're so big. But we're in the process of creating the conditions for that, right? So uh, most of that is, is going to focus around the network and cyber aspects of what we do, not the software. And so by transferring to DHMS that are going to endure, we're kind of creating, um, creating the conditions for that. Several years before they get around to actually making changes. And by then, back to that bouncing ball of fielding big programs, by then, I think they'll have a, a pretty good recipe for how to do that. Pat, Tom, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guests. Pat Flanders is the Chief Information Officer at the Defense Health Agency. Pat, always great to catch up. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. And Tom Hines is the Director of Engineering and Technology Transformation, also at the Defense Health Agency. Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. And thank you very much. It's enjoyable. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.